they were both sick. So uh, we wanted to make sure they had the opportunity to uh, play what they have practiced and what they have worked on. So thank you for that this evening. Uh, excited to have the opportunity to open God's Word with you. If you take your Bibles and go to Genesis uh, 22 with me this evening, Genesis 22, and as I said, we'll get back to Hebrews 11 in a little bit. Um, but uh, in our Bible class time at school, uh, we've been spending a lot of time, well, we've been in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 as we've been kind of walking through the topic of faith. And, uh, you know, if you're going to talk about the topic of faith, you, you go to Hebrews 11 because, you know, that's, that's where you find it talked about. it. And we've been working through each of the different uh, biblical men and women that are found in Hebrews chapter 11. And the last couple of weeks, we've spent focusing on Abraham and Sarah. And as we were focusing on their lives and their faithfulness and their faith, uh, it brought to my attention a uh, name of God. And if you remember a, few, a little while back, we, we went through and we looked at some names of God's, uh, names of God in our evening service. And uh, I think that was probably more towards the end of last year. And we looked at about five or six together. And uh, so tonight I want to get back and look at another name of God and uh, one that we, we skipped over, we didn't look at uh, when we were going through it last time. And, and it's found here in Genesis chapter 22. And uh, the name of God that we find here is the name Jehovah Jireh. And uh, the name simply means this. It means the God who provides or the Lord, our provider. And uh, maybe at some point during this uh, time of Thanksgiving, as you were spending time with family and with friends, you, you heard this phrase, there's more to come. Or there's more to follow. And probably it came about with someone saying, now don't eat too much because there's still more to follow, right? And usually that means dessert, which is always a good thing. I remember uh, working at the Wilds, and even when you're there <clears throat> as, a, as, a, as a sponsor, as a, camp, uh, as a camper, uh, one of the things you always want to hear before the service is, save your fork because there's more to follow. And you know if they say that, that that means that there's dessert with that meal. And there's not always dessert with every meal, but you know that there's dessert with that meal if they tell you to save your fork. And, and you know, the, the idea of there's more to follow. And the character that we're going to look at this evening, the person we're going to look at this evening, Abraham, I think is someone that has come to the realization and comes to the understanding that with God, there's always more to follow. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read a pretty good chunk here together as we get started this evening. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. By the way, let me just mention this here in verse 2. It, it's, it's intriguing. It's interesting to me. The Lord comes and he tests Abraham, we find out in verse 1. And in verse 2, he doesn't just say, Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him. It, it's almost like he's, I want to be careful how I say this, but it's almost like he's, he's making this trial as, seem as difficult as it can. Take your son your only son, your loved son, Isaac, and sacrifice him. 
There's like these reminders, Abraham, I'm really going to test you this time. I'm really testing. Now, Abraham's had his faith tested multiple times throughout, but here comes maybe the greatest test that Abraham is going to face. Verse 3, it says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and they clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will, provide for him, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told, told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen or it shall be provided. Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide. Charles Spurgeon at one point preached a sermon from Genesis 22, and as he preached the sermon, he gave an illustration in order to try to encapsulate this idea of what it means to say Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And, and, and to introduce this idea, Spurgeon used, he gave this story. He said that there was a benevolent person that gave Mr. Roland Hill a hundred pounds to dispense to a, a, to a poor minister just a little bit at a time. And the man, thinking it was too much to spend all at once, came up with this unusual plan. He decided he was going to do this. Mr. Hill was going to forward five pounds in a letter to the minister, one envelope at a time. The envelope with those pounds as that he would send one at a time would have inscribed on it these three words, more to follow. And the envelope with those pounds was sent every week. And in a few weeks, Mr. Hill would, would send another envelope and put that in the mail with five more pounds. And, and the same words would be listed on the outside, more to follow. And then a couple weeks later, another envelope and another envelope and another envelope, all with them saying these same words, more to follow. And so on and on and on, Mr. Hill would continue to send these envelopes. In fact, he would send them more than 100 pounds. Even after the 100 pounds ran out, Mr. Hill would continue to send these envelopes and he would include the five pounds and he would include these three words, more to follow. 
And Spurgeon would sum up this illustration by saying this. He'd say, every blessing that comes from God comes with the same message, more to follow. He went on, he said, I forgive you. God would say, I forgive you of your sins, but there is more to follow. I justify you in the righteousness of Christ, but there is more to follow. I adopt you into my family as my beloved, but there is more to follow. I give you grace upon grace, but there's still more to follow. You know, many of us this evening, as we, as we sit out here, as I stand up here, we can think back in our lives and, and we can see this to be true, that God truly is a God that we could use the three words to describe. There is still more to follow. And the reason for that is because God is a God that provides. You know, the person that we read about this evening in Genesis 22, Abraham had anticipated more to follow from God for years. In fact, we know the story of Abraham well. He, he had been, maybe we could say he had been receiving letters from God for years with the title more to follow on it. And we know how Abraham came, or excuse me, God came to Abraham and, and he's told Abraham to pack up his things and, and to move on and how God would direct him and God would lead him and Abraham followed. And we know how God came to Abraham and made the promise that he would have this son. And through this son, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And of course, Abraham received that promise and Three years would turn into five years, and five years would turn into ten years, and, and Abraham and Sarah still found themselves with no children. In fact, we know that Abraham and Sarah would begin to doubt that, that God would provide that son that he had promised for them, and, and they begin to try to take things into their own hands. Abraham asked God if, if his servant was going to be that heir, and God says, no, it will be your son. And still there's no child, and so Sarah gives Abraham permission to go and to have a child with her maidservant, and God says, no, that's not the one. And finally, 25 years after God made that first promise, at the age of 90, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. At that point, Abraham is 100 years old, and, and even just to think about that, and I know at that time people lived a little bit longer and whatnot, but still, even just to think about that, the God of the impossible performed the impossible. And when we talked about this part of Abraham's life in, in Bible class, I, I reminded the students of, of what we read in Ephesians, that, that we have a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I think Abraham or God did something that Abraham never thought possible. For Sarah to have a son at 90 when he was 100, but this was much cause for celebration, Right? I mean, the more to follow had finally arrived, it seemed. Isaac, we could say, was truly a miracle baby. A divine promise that had been fulfilled. But then we get to Genesis 22. 
Because as we come to Genesis 22, really the unthinkable happens here in these verses that we read. Because here God asks Abraham to do the one thing that Abraham probably thought God would never ask of him. Because here in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2, God comes and he says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell of thee. This was not going to be a father-son camping trip. Abraham is being asked to go and and to sacrifice, to to kill his son. And what a three-day journey that must have been. But yet, even as they traveled up the mountain, the, the Mount of Moriah, the narrator in Genesis chapter 22 gives us kind of a peek inside of Abraham's head. And we realize that all along, Abraham knew that there was more to follow. In fact, when Isaac would ask where the, he says this, he says, we have the fire and and we have the wood, but where is the lamb? Abraham responds with complete trust in verse eight. And he says this, he says, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Even before we get to the end of the story where Abraham builds the altar and he calls it Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, we find Abraham is already trusting that God's going to somehow provide, that there is more to follow in this story. See, Abraham had full assurance that God was in control even when Abraham couldn't, couldn't figure it out. In fact, as the story unfolds, we read how Abraham was even ready to eventually slay his son by his own hand. But God would stop him. You see, indeed, the name that Abraham chooses to place on this this special place is a name that literally means there is more to follow or God will provide. And God did exactly that in this story. And so Abraham brings this altar together and he calls the name of this place Jehovah Jireh. But you know, I believe in the truth contained in this expression, Jehovah Jireh. And as it was rolling the mind of Abraham, even before he, he, he built that altar, even before he went to slay his son and he lifted his hand to make the sacrifice, I, I think as we study this story in Genesis 22, we learn about Jehovah Jireh, but we also learn something else. And this is what I want us to focus on this evening. We learn about the God who provides, but I think we also learn about who Jehovah Jireh provides for. And we learn it from the testimony of Abraham. And so tonight I want us to take a few minutes real quick to look at this testimony of Abraham. And I want us to see some of the things or or the kind of person that Jehovah Jireh provides for. And the first thing we see as we come to Genesis chapter 22, as we come to the testimony of Abraham, and as we seek to answer this question, who does Jehovah Jireh provide for is this, and that is that God provides for those that are devoted to him. 
God provides for those that are devoted to him. As we outline Genesis 22, we observe a man doing exactly what God commands. You see, Abraham was not a man who idly sat by doing nothing in this story. Abraham was a man who was actively pursuing the will of God. I mean, after all, devoted disciples are those that obey without delay. We come to this story here in in verse 2, and we see Abraham wasting no time. God comes to him, and God gives him this directive, this command to to take his son and to offer him as a sacrifice. And can I be honest? And probably if we were all honest this evening, our first response would probably be something like, "Uh, are you sure about that, God? God, wait, 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 wait. What about that promise? Maybe, God, we should take some time to to step back and to talk about this. Could we maybe just discuss it? And that's probably how we would respond, but, but that's not what we see from Abraham. We see in Abraham a devoted disciple, and we see his devotion because he obeys without delay. In verse 3, it says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his ass, and he took two of his young men, and Isaac his son, and he clave the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose up, and he went unto the place of which God had told him. Now, I don't know for sure. I can't imagine Isaac got too much sleep that, or excuse me, Abraham got too much sleep that evening. But maybe he did, because maybe he was resting in his confidence in God. We see that throughout the rest of the story. But we see that he rose up early. He didn't question God. He rose up. He gathered what he needed. He got his son Isaac, and he said, let's go. And I don't know that we can completely understand the emotions that Abraham must have been experiencing as he goes on this journey and as, it, as he goes this day. And here God is asking him to, to sacrifice his promised son. And yet what Abraham recognizes is this. Abraham recognizes that God's commands took precedent over his personal and emotional bonds, even to his own child. In Genesis 22, 3 and 4, we read that Abraham's obedience, it's unquestioning. He's going to follow God and do exactly what God wants him to do. There's an obscure Latin phrase that we sometimes see used in Western society. Uh, The phrase is carpe diem. And it's usually translated this way. It's usually translated as to seize the day, right? Right? And if you were to survey a hundred people, probably all of them would say this, they have this idea of needing to, to seize the moment. None of us want to be considered mediocre in life. No one really wants to be considered lazy, although some may not admit it. By nature, we all want to live full and, 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 and fulfilling lives. And, and we kind of have a modern version of this Latin phrase, carpe diem. And it's a phrase that we see plastered on t-shirts now. And it's YOLO, right? You only live once. And in many ways, carpe diem should really be the rallying cry of the church. We should seize the day. But here's the reality. We don't only live once. The life we have now is but a mist, right? It's a mist that appears for a moment and then it vanishes away. But we're longing and we're looking towards an 
eternal life with Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself would say in John 9, verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. And Abraham understood that when God gives a command, I don't delay, I obey. And he took his son Isaac and he obeyed without procrastination. You know, procrastination has caused the death of many profound spiritual opportunities. And we miss them because we hesitate in following Jesus. But those who are devoted to God, truly devoted disciples, will obey without delay. But not only that, devoted disciples also obey without excuse. You know, we often read Genesis 22 and and we focus on Abraham, but I think we also see that this idea of obedience wasn't just in the life of Abraham, it was also in the life of Isaac. Now, this is going to ruin all those flannel graph pictures that you see for Sunday school, but Isaac was not a young boy. Isaac is probably about 30 years old at this point. All right, so if you have those flannel graphs, you can throw them out because they're lying to you, all right? He is about 30 years old, right? Isaac is no young kid here, and, and, and he easily could have probably said to his father, uh, no, I don't think I want to do this. And at this point, Abraham's about 120, so I can't imagine there's a whole lot of strength there. If, if, if there was going to be a battle between Isaac and Abraham, Isaac probably would win the battle. But not once do we see Isaac complain. We see him obeying as well, although we do see him curious. As they're going up the mountain, Isaac asks this question in verse 7. It says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father... And he said, here am I, my son. And Isaac said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac was no dummy. He knew something was off. He, he, he knew something weird was, was taking place here. And if you can maybe imagine Abraham's heart as Isaac asked that question. I don't know if we can put ourselves in the place of Abraham there, but to have his son begin to recognize that something is off. And and what do you say? And no doubt it was a question that plagued Abraham as well. But yet Abraham would respond in verse 8 and he would say, My son, God will provide. My son, there, there's more to follow. There's, there's more to this story. Because I have a God that provides. And surely both men questioned what they were going to do next as they went up that mountain. But I find it interest, interesting in verse 8 that it says this. It says, so they went, both of them, together. Both went together. Both of them, Abraham willingly and completely obeyed the command of God. He held nothing back from God. He was willing to give it all. But likewise, Isaac was willing to follow the commands of God that were shared to him or reported to him by his father. 
We read of no struggle from Isaac as his father bound him and as his father lays him on the altar. Remember, it got to the point. I mean, this wasn't like Isaac didn't know what was going on at any point. It got to the point where Isaac is on the altar and Abraham has the sword in his hand and has his arm lifted ready to kill his son. Isaac knows what's going on. But not once do we see an excuse. You know, let's face it, when we don't want to do something, we are really good at making excuses for it, aren't we? Working at the school, and and I'm sure our teachers hear many more of these excuses than I do, but, you know, working at the school, you regularly hear how good students are at making excuses. And some of the excuses that they come up with for not having their homework done, things like, well, I forgot, my, I forgot my work at school over the weekend, or I don't know where it is, or something like, well, it's my sibling's fault. Or I was too busy the night before, or, you know, the ever popular one, my dog ate it. Which, by the way, we did have that used this, was it this year? Yeah, we did have that used this year, and it was, I think, legitimate. I think. It looked like it was legitimate. And then we have a new one, by the way, with our technology and everything that we have. There is a new one, and that is this. Well, my Wi-Fi wasn't working. And there are all kinds of excuses that we are able to come up with when we just don't want to do something. And no doubt Abraham and Isaac could have found every excuse in the book. I mean, they could have found some legitimate excuses for not wanting to do this, but not once do we find them questioning God. Not once do we have them trying to make an excuse. What we have are two devoted disciples that simply are desiring to obey God. And what we find this evening is this, Jehovah Jireh provides for those that are devoted to them, and he is going to provide for Isaac, and he's going to provide for Abraham. But we also see this in the life of Abraham. We see that Jehovah Jireh provides for those who are dependable. In chapter 22, verse 5, we see that Abraham's obedience was based on a dependable faith. Look at verse 5. It says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Have you ever wondered, why didn't Abraham take the servants up with him into the mountain? They're not really a good answer. Maybe it's because he thought his servants would try to stop him. It really doesn't matter, to be honest. It's just one of those questions that kind of pop into your mind. But I don't want you to miss the last part of verse 5. Because Abraham says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And we could put a we here because it's plural. And we will come to you again. Already, Abraham has a confidence And his God's going to do something. Abraham is saying, God told me to go kill my son, but we're going to come back to you. And Abraham is fully prepared to to kill Isaac and to burn his body as an offering and then to watch God raise him again. You see, Abraham was dependable, but he was dependable because he depended upon a dependable God. 
And you see, Abraham had a, had, had a faith that trusts in the repeated promises that God had given to him over and over and over again. You think of where we are at in the journey of Abraham's life and of all the promises that Abraham has already received from God, right? If you flip back to Genesis 12, just a few chapters back, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, we have a promise. It says this, it says, And I will make thee of a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. A few chapters over, Genesis 15, Abraham hears this promise. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, talking about Eleazar, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bow shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. A couple more chapters over, uh, chapter 15 of Genesis. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. Another chapter over in chapter 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. This is when the three visitors come to visit Abraham, and Sarah overhears them telling Abraham that she's going to have a son, and her response is to laugh. And it said, is anything, is, is anything too hard from the Lord? I think Abraham may have learned from that experience. Because as he comes to this experience, he's remembering that nothing's too hard for God. And then in chapter 21, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had spoken, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And you know, with all these verses in mind, this dependable disciple depends by faith in God's promises. One person's rightly said this. He said, you can't break God's promises by leaning on them. We find Abraham leaning on the promises of God. He doesn't know how God is going to keep this promise. I mean, God has asked him to take his son, his only son, the one that the promise was supposed to be fulfilled through. He doesn't know how God's going to keep that promise with all of this in mind. But what he knows is this. He knows that he has a God who does keep his promises. And so he's willing to be dependable. He's willing to act based upon the promises of God. You know, we need to understand like Abraham that a promise from God is as dependable today as it was on the day that God made it. When God makes a promise like, I will never leave you. That's exactly what will happen. Or when God says, I am your shield, I, I don't need to look anywhere else for protection. Or when God says, I will help you. I know I can run to him in, in my moment of need. Or, or when God makes a promise like, like, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I can, I can ask him what to do next when I'm unsure. When God says all things work together for good, I can trust him even when everything seems to be dark to me. And this dependable disciple 
depended on his dependable God and he responded in faith because he depended on God's repeated promises. But you know, to have faith in God's promises, I must also have faith in God's power. I must have faith that, I, that the God who made the promise has the ability to fulfill the promise. I don't know if you've ever wondered what was Abraham thinking as he prepared to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. I mean, this is an amazing request that God is asking from Abraham. Thankfully, the New Testament gives us insight into what Abraham is thinking. And we read these verses this evening already in Hebrews 11. If you kept your a marker there, you can flip over. If not, I'll read them here real quick. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 17, we, we learn the mind of Abraham through this event. It says, Hebrews 11, verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Interesting word choice there, by the way. We'll get to that later. His only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Here's what Abraham was thinking. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received in him a figure. This is the most amazing thing to me because here's why. Abraham had faith in the power of God that God would raise his son from the dead. And here's maybe the most amazing part about it. That hadn't happened up to this point in history. In the New Testament, we have examples of, of Christ having raised, raised people from the dead. But up to this point in history, that has never happened before. Why would that thought even come into the mind of Abraham? Here's why. Because he knew his God. He knew the power of his God. And he knew his God was going to somehow keep his promise. And if that meant he was going to kill his son, then the only solution to that was that his God was going to bring him back from the dead. Abraham had such a complete faith in God that he was basically saying, God, even if my son Isaac is going to die, I know that you have the power to raise him up. I wonder this evening if we have that kind of confidence in our God, in our Jehovah Jireh, our God that provides. I think we could literally say that Abraham believed that God was a God who would do exceeding abundantly above anything that he could ask or think. And I wonder if we have that kind of faith in our God. Because those are the kind of disciples that Jehovah Jireh is pleased to provide for. Those that are dependable, those that are dedicated and then finally this evening, those who dearly love him. Abraham was willing to do exactly what the Lord had asked of him. We see it on full display in verse 10 when it says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. Abraham was prepared to follow through. I don't think Abraham is just going through the motions here. I don't think Abraham was just pretending in this verse. Abraham had come to a place where he was actually willing to say, God, if you want me to carry through, I'll do it. And I don't know if we can 
If we can truly feel what Abraham felt here, if, if we can truly feel the anguish that he must have been going through as he raised that knife and and really, the, the Genesis chapter 22, the, the, the author just kind of, you, you can almost kind of see, feel him building this story as it gets harder and harder and harder for Abraham as he gets up in the morning and he gathers everything. And then he goes up, starts to go up the mountain, and then Isaac asks the question, Father, where's the lamb? And then he begins to, to, to build the altar and he lays the wood and, and he bind, binds his son and he puts his son on the altar and things are getting harder and harder and harder and more and more real. And yet Abraham remains unwaveringly committed to what God has asked of him. You know, there, the secret, <clears throat> excuse me, the secret at the summit of the mountain of absolute surrender. You know what that secret is? Here's what it is. It's not about the altitude of the body, but it's about the altitude of the heart. And one of the commentators, I should have marked it. I don't remember which commentator, commentator had that quote. But you see, Abraham's heart had already surrendered Isaac. Abraham was willing to follow through on this because Isaac was already God's in the heart and in the mind of Abraham. You see, Abraham was one who truly and dearly loved his God. And as a result, he was willing to unwaveringly commit himself to what God had asked of him. And also as a result, he returned proper praise back to God. We know the end of the story, right? I mean, probably when we began to read this story, you already knew the end. So it's hard for us to put ourselves in the place of Abraham. But imagine the feeling and imagine how Abraham must have felt when that angel appears and it says, Abraham, stop. And Abraham looks over and he finds that ram tangled in the bushes, in the thickets. And in verse 13, it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. Everything that God had promised was there. I mean, what an incredible moment. What an incredible testimony. And, and what does Abraham do in that moment? Well, he praises God. He returns all praise back to God. In the climax of this story, Abraham calls the name of this place Jehovah Jireh. He's saying, God, you have provided everything that I need. And throughout the entirety of this story, Abraham believed that was going to be the case. Because Abraham had already come to believe that with God, there's always more to follow. I want to finish with this thought this evening. You know, the passage we just picked apart is probably one of the great mountaintop passages of the Bible. In fact, from the vantage point of Mount Moriah, we see the great cost of our redemption. 
And in it, we really see one of the clearest pictures of the coming sacrifice of Christ on the cross of Calvary. In fact, it kind of seems in this story as though God used the life of Abraham as kind of a canvas to paint a picture of his own heart. As he willingly gave his son to die for sinful men. In other words, what I'm saying is that Jehovah Jireh is one of the clearest, the name of God that we find here in this passage is one of the clearest Old Testament pictures of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this event, and I want to call it a story because sometimes when we think of story, we think something that's not true. It's very real. It's very true. This story, this event that took place points directly to Jesus Christ. In fact, I said when we were reading Hebrews 11, I don't think it's an accident that the author of Hebrews uses the phrase, his only begotten son. Because Isaac was a picture of the only begotten son that would come and would sacrifice himself on the cross. Because with God, there's always more to follow. And we have a God who always will provide. So how do I accept the provisions of God's great son? How do I receive the blessings of Jehovah Jireh? Well, God provides for those who are devoted to him. No man can come to God except he repent of his sins and cast everything on God. Jehovah Jireh provides for those who have a faith that is dependable on him. I must depend on my dependable God. And Jehovah Jireh provides for those who dearly love him. When you come to the cross, you leave all else behind. And that is what true, repent, true repentance is all about. And that is who Jehovah Jireh truly is. Who is God? He is Jehovah Jireh. He is my God who will provide. Or we could say, there's more to follow. Finish with this verse. I quoted it a couple times. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.